All right, gentlemen. Are we ready? Yes. Ready. Hello, Internet, and welcome to another episode of Geek Fanthology. I am your host, Neil von Zervich. I bid you welcome. Please step into my parlor. I think you've already met my guests. The one true being. And of course... Confused adventurer Mike. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, uh, today, in honor of a new book coming out for D&D... New module. New module, okay. New something coming out. I don't know. I don't pay attention to 5th edition very much. More stuff to spend money on! Yeah! <laughs> uh, set in uh, set in the mythical land of Barovia. Barovia. Um, yes. We would thought we thought me we'd maybe talk about the history of the Ravenloft uh, campaign setting. Technically, it's uh, certainly it's like a combination of fourth and fifth because it's the online it's the Neverwinter online module. So that okay. came out in twenty thirteen. Oh, yes. So there's not really a clear edition for that per se. Okay. Well, still. Still, yeah. yeah. In any case, Ravenloft. But first, uh, I could probably find a public domain. Um, Oh, I'm sure there are Recording of that that I could <laughs> yeah. use. Oh, yeah, easy. easy. Um, in any case, um, but first, this week in Geek, um, start out with some sad news. Um, author Harlan Ellison has died. I have no tears and I must cry. The guardian of the city of the, on the edge of forever. And writer of a bunch of... Bunch of bunch of things. Groundbreaking sci-fi. Actually, yeah. I had a chance to. Meet he, him. he objected to being referred to as as a science fiction writer. Well, that was just one of the many things he wrote. But yeah, you know. But then also, he objected to a lot of things and was noted for being somewhat extremely litigious. Matter and of fact, if you got a hold, of, if he were still alive and was hearing about this podcast, he might complain about what we're saying about him right now. Yeah, I got to meet him uh, a few years ago at Archon. Uh, that sounds cool. No, not really. No, was he a stuck-up jerk? Um, nah, he was. Well, he wasn't. He was not. Even then, he was not in good health. Ah, so it was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> you know, which you know, for Harlan Ellison, you know, at least he didn't grab my tits. You know, <laughs> Harlan was was also well known for being something of a perv. Um, well, and, you know, but what's it? What is it with with science fiction writers and perviness? I mean, like Heinlein also was yeah got weird late in life. Well, okay, yeah. When you're an old guy, you don't get much, but still. Um, no, Harlan. Harlan was always something of a horn dog, um, but he also came from an era where, you know, dudes got what they wanted because they were dudes, uh, you know. And so, to them, I to that era, um, growing up in that era, you know, it was the whole very much the whole boys will be boys thing, and nobody saw anything wrong with that. 
Um, hashtag feminism. Hashtag me too. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just it's just it was it was. I mean, growing up in that in that era, it was just the way things were. And granted, and that wasn't didn't make it better or good, but no. it was just no one saw a real problem with that. It was just <laughs> that Harlan, you know, what a scamp. Yeah, and, and you know, it's like well, you should feel compliment. He groped you, you know. <laughs> I, and yeah, it was just that. Was well, I think it raises a good point that uh, you know, you know, you can discuss the uh, discuss the context of all this without you know. It doesn't mean that anyone's condoning anything. Yeah. yeah so exactly. it's like you know, um, I, I hate the fact that like people uh, live in this like you know this uh, this like culture of oh I'm afraid to say anything lest to be misconstrued and I'm some sort of you know bad person who's you know yeah. promulgating bad behavior and it's like well. There's nothing wrong about acknowledging the reality of the time. Yeah. Like, people yeah. people have this thing where it's like, now they want to... Like, you see this with... Uh, recently, there's this award that they uh, took away Laura Ingram Wilder's name from because, oh, we think that she referred to black people and Native Americans in a racist way, so... And it's like, okay, so we're going to go back, like... Like, where's the cutoff here? Whole, Let's yeah, go back 50 so years, 70 years, 80 years, 100 years, and we're going to apply our current standards of race relations and gender relations and all this shit to them. Yeah. And if they don't, if they don't, uh, if they don't meet on this scale that we've created, then they're terrible people and everything should be taken away from them. Right. So by that, by that, uh, by that, uh, standard, that means like, oh, well, let's, let's, uh, condemn all the founding fathers of America and all this other stuff. And yeah. it's like, guys, let's be real here, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's like, yes, I, you know, we can acknowledge that he did dickish things. Like many people back in the day, he was about 84 years old. When 85, he, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's just like. It's good to be aware. It's good to have a better, like, you know, moral standard now. But at the same time, it's like, let's not try to, like, go back 50 to 100 years in virtue signal. Like, that's just stupid. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, they did the best they could for the time. I mean, Laura Ingalls Wilder, you, you do the best you can with what you got. I mean, by standards 50 years from now, we are probably horrible, horribly misogynistic uh, you know, gender assigning dickheads. Well, I mean, I'm already a racist. So. <clears throat> Dude, I was here. Here's the thing, and this is something that I was going to rant on. I was raised racist. Fuck yeah, I'm racist. Um, you try not to be. I, yeah, I, I'm trying to fix that. You know, <laughs> and I fail miserably from time to time. You know, but you know, bear in mind, I was I was raised racist by two Native American parents. Who were, you know... Wait, you're telling me that people that aren't white can be racists? Wow, what a concept. Well, Avenue Q teaches us that everyone's a little bit racist, at the very least. Well, the, the thing well, is... I think a lot that, of the navel-gazing, hand-wringing stuff is counterproductive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Lauren Goldswater did the best she could for today. Yeah. Harlan Ellison, yeah, he was kind of a dick. Um, the thing is, is, like, when I met him, he wasn't feeling good. He probably was, you know, was as gracious as he was capable of being right. at the time. So, yeah, good to meet you. you yeah, know? I'm sure if you're, like, you know, you're in terrible health and you're at a friggin' convention, which, by the way, is known for spreading illness, yeah. <laughs> you're probably uh, not in the best of Pax has the Iron Guard position for yes, reading the Iron people. Guard. You cross your arms in front of your chest and give a salute. Kind of Instead of shaking day. hands with people <laughs> to avoid concrete. Which honestly is more right. fun anyway. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. And of course that's like you Wakanda know, forever. Wakanda forever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. yeah. The so, uh, vibranium yeah. guard salute. Vibranium guard salute. So yeah, I mean Harlan Ellison for for his flaws. Yeah, he was a flawed human being. We all are. Yep. But man, I mean 
he contributed to pop culture. He contributed to science fiction, speculative fiction. I mean, just all matter. I remember reading a book of his short stories and him uh, in the introduction talking about, uh, you know, one of his irreverent things where he goes to his uh, girlfriend's house and her mo- her mother has little runners on the you know on on the carpet and so he jumps out into the middle of the carpet and is industriously shuffling his feet to write out the word fuck p h u c k and gets caught in the middle of that. Well, what's <laughs> with the ph? I don't know. It's because he does. Because <laughs> that's how we do, man. It's like how you can spell fish g h o t i. Why not? <laughs> okay. So the G H from from enough, the uh, O from any number of words that has the O sound making the I sound, O T because you know like help me out here because I can't think of it suddenly. Uh, well, no, I, T I. Well, no, the T. Sorry, the O. From, the sorry, the from, I from women. The O from women. And the and the T I from gumption. Partition, etc. T I O N. So G H O T I spells that fish. That is a very deep cut. Yeah, it's, it's it took me a while to get there. I was going, yeah, yeah, yeah you've I couldn't explain that either, joke yeah. really hard. But <laughs> I also think it's just an aside here. Um, the um, so why not spell it with a ph? <laughs> <laughs> um, God, no, I'm, I'm losing my brain too. Uh, it'll come to me. Uh, something about um, something about Allison. Uh, we'll get back to it. Okay, my first, uh, my first, in you know, my uh, first time I ran into anything about Harlan Ellison was sitting on the edge of forever. One of the single most impactful Star Trek episodes, uh, along with uh, oh god, I probably remember the the one that DC Fontana is the one that DC Fontana wrote, and I can't remember the name of it. Oh god. Uh, was it Guardian of Forever or uh, to the internet? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, and even even one of my even one of my most feminist friends, um, whom I admire deeply, was like, you know, for a minute set aside all the all the flaws. You know, this is a humongous loss. Oh yeah, that that reminds me of what I was going to say. Thanks for spurring my brain there. Um, <laughs> what I was going to say is, um, and this applies to anything, not just you know literature. Um, I, I'm I'm someone who can divorce the person from their work. Mm-hmm. Uh, like for example, um, Eminem, aka Marshall Mathers. I think that guy's a total asshole. He's just an asshole. Yeah. Now I like a lot of his music, and I think he's you know I think he's accomplished a lot artistically. Um, but I can divorce him from his work. Yeah. So that goes for, like, you know, um, literature, music, movies, TV. Like, there's a lot of things where you may not like the person on a personal level or disagree a lot of what they've done or, like, uh, um, like you know, uh, political views or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you can still appreciate, um, you know, what, what their work is, you know. Yeah. Uh, now, sometimes they make it hard when they um, act extra douchey, extra publicly, extra recently. Like, uh, you had Robert De Niro go, fuck Trump, ah, and make a muscle man pose in this, <laughs> this award ceremony. It's like, really? Yeah. Like, is that a mature thing? Like, does that really help anybody? Not to mention that's counterproductive because then, you know. Yeah, but, you know, it's, 
you know, it, it's what it is. I mean, it's just it's what people feel. Well, people are still people, right? At the end exactly. of the day, like people have this conception that oh, if someone is a celebrity or an artist or something, they're this very different person, and it's like yeah. no, actually, all the good stuff, all the bad stuff is there. It's they're just people it. like anyone else. And I think part of that is what informs what makes somebody. Yeah, Man, this is almost turned into a Harlan Ellison tribute episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, but, yeah, we don't want to get too yeah. uh, in the weeds here. Sometimes just kind of let the conversations organically develop because they're more interesting than just, hey, here's a thing, here's yeah. a thing. But, so, um, yeah. yeah, and I mean, Harlan Ellison did have a very acidic pen in a lot of ways, but he did shine a light into a lot of different things that just, he, he was known for his groundbreaking sci-fi. The world is, you know not a better place without him in it uh, you know um, he, he did contribute a lot so his is one of the names that will live forever I think and, and whether it should or not you know one way or the other he, he did earn that he you know he, he built that <laughs> so uh, some other uh, quick hits here um, since we're we spent a lot of time in that um, we already mentioned the Neverwinter Ravenloft module just went live on June 26th, so all you Neverwinter players or people that are interested in the game, check it out. Just fair warning, you do have to hit level 70, which is level cap, before you actually go into Barovia. Now, that doesn't take too long, because it's not like the typical MMO where it's like exponentially more XP every time you level. Like, it's about the same curve, and you get most of your XP from quests. So, you know, if you're interested in that, but you haven't started, don't be intimidated by it. Just do it at your own pace and have fun. Uh, and then, of course, Ant Man the Wasp comes out next week, yep. which should be a lot of fun. If the trailer is anything to go by, Summer Dan Games Done Quick is wrapping up. It's uh, it's closing uh, end of tomorrow as of recording, uh, July the first. And you're watching them all as they do them, aren't you? I've been watching a number of them, which is why I am so goddamn tired. That and also I've been in a play. Um, but yeah. I'm sure the Tony Award Committee will be here any minute now. Hey, man, I learned to smoke for this play. <laughs> Which actually is not a very high level of devotion. Most actors learn to smoke for, for plays or movies. So, um, And most of the time they don't smoke actual cigarettes. They smoke uh, herbal cigarettes that have been made specifically to yeah. burn and smoke like regular cigarettes, but without the tobacco. Right. Which is what I've got a pack of right there, over the, right over there. <laughs> so also uh, Morrow Project or Timeline Incorporated or Limited L Timeline LTD is releasing the first uh, Morrow Project uh, um, module in quite some time this summer so oh and uh, local regional news uh, Vision Con's coming back to Springfield for 2019 yes I don't know if we mentioned this last week when, when the announcement went live but yes Vision Con's coming back Springfield Missouri because there are a million Springfields Yes, we're building both. 15, if I recall correctly. 36. 36? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Those are probably just the big Springfields. <laughs> yeah, right. maybe I'm just thinking of There's the one in most states. Uh, it is the yeah. second most popular name uh, for a city in What's the U.S. What's the most popular? Pleasant View. Ah, okay. I, I can see that. Notice how they're always the innocuous, nice-sounding, calming exactly. like, right. Pleasant View, Springfield. Greenland. <laughs> the biggest con in the history of the world. Right? Uh, no, the, the biggest con is the Cape of Good Hope. Ah, okay. um, That's fair. 35 states apparently have a Springfield. Yeah. The more you know. According to Google. Uh, so, yeah. 
Anything else? Thirty-five states, but are there, <laughs> is there more than one? Do you have any other significant stuff? There are thirty-three populated places in twenty-five states, according to this. Um, if you allow a couple townships, um, yeah, you get into technicalities. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, VisionCon coming back. Um, there are a lot of folks that um, are very happy with that, myself included. There are a few people that are unhappy with it. I th I'm wondering whether they're trying to regain goodwill after kind of a blown con last year. Um, like there was a lot of bad ill will blowing around VisionCon last year. I'm wondering if this is part of an attempt to regain some of that. I don't know. Also, apparently, they the the Hilton Convention Center with whom they were, with, with where they've been staying for the last however many years, turned into a giant asshole last year too. Yeah. Part of a lot of the complaints that people had were over things that Vision Cod had zero control over. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. And I think they also increased the space. Uh, the uh, cost for the space. Yeah, it's like and everything just is like, yeah, you're a, it's it's up like, I was I I remember actually talking to uh, at VisionCon talking to the to the to the guy who runs it, like the head honcho of VisionCon. I can't think of his name suddenly, but he was talking about things, and he was like, yeah, they're. We, you know, we had this we had this nice negotiated contract with the city of Branson, um, where we were you know getting you know these rates for for you know things because we were bringing a lot of people in right. on the off season. Right. Right. And our argument was quite simply: Look, we're not going to play, pay on season site prices. Yeah. In the middle of winter. Right. Right. Yeah, that seems fair. Yeah. Yeah. We are generating revenue for you because nobody wants to come to Branson in February. Yeah. Right. And, and now no one will because they're going to be going to Springfield in May. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. It's just like, you know, fucking Branson. Um, you know, there's like, yes, you are in spring, in you know, Vision Con probably said, no, you're not. Yeah, you know, Maybe Springfield Expo our, Center is bigger than it used to be. <laughs> right, and, and we're going to take our 4,000, uh, we're going to take our 4,000, uh, you know, annual money attendees. paying, uh, you know, our 4,000 money paying uh, attendees and go home. Yep. <laughs> but I'm glad, I personally am glad my first Vision Con in 1991 was here in Springfield. The Vision Con for the longest time was, and in my heart always will be, a... It's a Springfield Con. Springfield Con, yep. And I, I think... I'll also, Vision Con ran into some issues with some attendees doing things that got them the less than grateful uh, <laughs> reputation of with, with some of the hotels. Um, yeah. But... Tell you what, though. Our Patreon never gets to... Twenty five hundred or no $3,000 a month? Mm -hmm. There will be a new con in Springfield. Um, I'm not sure what we'll, what we'll call it, but... <laughs> Geek Fantalicon? <laughs> I, I was thinking working theory con... Um, something like a theoretical... Uh, theoreticon. <laughs> Since we're working theory productions is the, yeah. is the theoretical... Um, <laughs> that's not a pun. But um, <laughs> is, the, is the parent company of this podcast. All right. 
quote unquote technically. Right. I mean, it's an LLC, so that I can't get sued as easily, pretty much. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you just call it, you know, LLC, limited, li- limited liability con. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that could be interesting too, but anyway. then it sounds like we're talking about businesses. Yeah, everyone yeah. probably just thinks it's a business thing. But anyway. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, so um, Ravenloft. Yes. Yes. So, shall I get to the spoiler of the week? Oh, yes. Spoiler of the week. Drum roll. <laughs> Count okay. Strahd von Zervich is a vampire! Ba, ba, ba! Which Shocking. was a total surprise to him. This is true. <laughs> he used to be a paladin. Uh, right? <laughs> D&D Dracula, everyone. D&D Dracula. Yeah. yeah. D&D were Dungeons and Dracula. <laughs> With a D. Um... <laughs> so, opening with a, with an interesting little thought experiment, because um, it's as good a place as anywhere to start. I mentioned this to, to Ben during lunch, but um, there's a thought experiment slash question that goes around the, the internets from time to time, which is, who would win in a fight, the dark powers of Barovia or the Lady of Pain? And and Ben Ben's Ben's thought process is mostly if they ever got to the point where they ran into each other, they'd just be like, "Oh, hey, you, <laughs> yeah, what's up? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> what's up?" And just, it's like passing in the hall at work, and there's an awkward yeah. like, "Hey, what's good morning?" <laughs> I mean, they, they, they show up in the field. They both do that chin lift thing, like, "Hey, yeah, the <laughs> nod, know, yeah, the nod." And, 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 and they both turn around and walk off. <laughs> it's like, "Yeah, you got your place. I got mine." Yeah, you know? it's like. What? Who wants us to? Let's go yeah. kill them. Because uh, <laughs> yeah. Barovia is the plane is the demi plane of torment. Dread, dread. Now, technically, yes. it's Ravenloft. Barovia is a thing within Ravenloft. Yeah. Ravenloft is a is a part of the demi, demi is the demi plane of dread. It gets a little bit. Uh, I thought it was the demi plane of torment. Maybe I'm crazy though. Yeah, it's no. dread. <laughs> it's it's okay. dread. Yeah. <laughs> It, it's uh, it's the horror setting, right? Yeah. Right. It's the, gothic horror, it's the gothic horror in D and D setting. Yeah, uh, as opposed the to the as opposed to uh, the the uh, demi plane of dreads, which is a few over and is a very happy sunny place. Great man, it's great. <laughs> we'd be liking it. Uh, we'd be liking it, me. <laughs> but, uh, Maybe that's where they came up with the Morning Lord. Yeah, nah. <laughs> hey, I always liked Lathander. Yeah, it's a well, neutral fingers. good sun god as opposed to being a lawful well, good sun god. Sun god. Sun god. <laughs> but and they uh, killed him and turned him into a monotar for fourth edition. And fuck that. Yeah. I kind of feel like a uh, sun god would probably be more neutral good than lawful good. Yeah. Sun seems more chill than lawful good. Yeah. yeah. Lawful is too uptight for the sun. That, that, yeah, that's always sun been. Sun god is like always chill, man. It's like, that, hey, I'm bright and shiny, man. Yeah. That's yeah. always, yeah. That's always been everybody my deal. Good morning. Yeah. <laughs> like. The sun shines on all. Exactly. Yeah. Unless it's cloudy outside. Or in the case of, like, in the case of Brovia, the sun never shines. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> Or at least it shines out of view because there's always fog and mist and everything. Yeah, which is why werewolves can go around all the time, and so can the vampires. They can just strut right? around. Yeah, yeah. Just, you know, sun, you know, so they're just going, "Hey, I'm bright and shiny. What's that little misty place over there?" Ah, fuck it. <laughs> which, by the way, I just think that you know that bears a little emphasis in and of itself is like. You know, one of the big like weaknesses and restrictions of vampires is just gone. Yep. I just, you know, and thank God they don't you know, sparkle or anything. Right, no doubt. Of course, I guess yeah. technically there's no, you know, light to be had. Right, exactly. The yeah. exactly. point is, these are actual monstrous vampires, not wuss- wussy vampires. Yeah. Yeah, not, 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 uh, 
paranormal. Not CW vampires. So, yeah. <laughs> Ravenloft's, uh, Ravenloft's dark powers are interesting. And, and they're a retro, they're a retro uh, active yeah. addition. Because the original Ravenloft... Wasn't it just the castle, Ravenloft? Yeah, the yeah. original adventure took place in the castle. I'm correct. It was a, it was a second edition AD&D standalone module, and it was just Castle Ravenloft. Not even second edition, because uh, it was released originally in 1983. Oh, so it was te- technically it was AD&D, period. Before exactly. Before did the full-on launch for second. Yeah, precisely. But, okay. you know, when it was, when it was, yeah, when the editions of D&D are basic Dungeons & Dragons, Dungeons & Dragons, and advanced Dungeons & Dragons. I just, I just love how it's like... And back, basic back Dungeons & Dragons still has, uh, still, still refers you to the rules for chain mail. Yes. Well, I love how, like, back then it was like, oh, hey, you know, D&D isn't insular enough. Let's, let's separate it into basic and advanced. Yeah, well, because basic was what first came out. I mean, it was just you know, yeah. okay. Well, we we've we've worked out some of the. So this is now advanced D and D. It's like basic. It's only. almost like a beta and a release. Right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah it's like the DLC for D and D. So yeah, and then um, yeah, originally came out in '83. They actually started doing it in '77, and. Uh, the uh, the whole big thing about it was that it was horror, gothic horror, and I remember though that in playing the original when it came out, and bear, you know, granted, this is when modules were modules as opposed to hardbound books, <laughs> you know, came in uh, a box. Uh, actually, modules came individual, came individually wrapped. Oh, actually, um, slight correction here. Seventy-eight is when it was first started here. There's a forward in uh, in Curse of Strahd, the mm-hmm. uh, the module for fifth edition D and D by Tracy Hickman, one of the founders of Ravenloft. Yeah. Um, and sh- she said it was 1978, and they give a little like anecdote about how it came about. In the the two the the TLDR version of it is that um, she was playing in a game and like she went to a she was in a dungeon as you are um, and this again this is why there's a big you know uh, why it's such a um, notable setting is that it's a huge departure from the typical back then mm-hmm. you, you go into a dungeon you kill some shit you take some treasure and you go I was very much Diablo with dice. Yeah, there wasn't really as much was. of an emphasis on role playing. You even leveled by getting treasure. That's how. Yeah, you that's how that. loot and dungeon delvey oriented it was. Yeah, uh, one gold piece equaled one experience point. So um, basically, um, she and some friends they were playing D anD D, and she's going through this dungeon, and um, there's a, just a random vampire in a room that seemed like, "What the hell is a vampire doing here?" And of course, back then it was it was very much like. Oh hey, like roaming monsters and random encounters, just like roll and just see what's in there. And oftentimes, if the DM didn't, you know, tweak it, there would be monsters that seem like they don't belong at all. And so she's in this dungeon, her vampire just there in a random room, and she's like, "What the hell's a vampire?" Hello, I'm a vampire. <laughs> and it's like, wait, hello. And then, so you know, she yeah, she went through the you know she she went through the orc, dungeon. Orc, orc, vampire, orc, orc. One of these things is not like the other. So anyway, <laughs> it was like she just kind of stuck with her, and she was like, "Why would there be a vampire in there? What's his story? What's his deal?" And that was the beginning of an idea that ultimately culminated in Strahd and Ravenloft. 
Um, so I find it amusing that, you know, and, and they, that's they, how it kind of all started. Uh, <laughs> and the, the, uh, I don't know if the, if the, uh, if the TLDR version of that, uh, covers it, but they actually kind of play tested it every Halloween for like five years. Oh yeah. Right. Um, so yeah. And you back then, yeah, it was very much work, 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 work. Good evening. Work, 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 work. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then, you know, uh, well, you randomly ran into dragons. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh. Well, actually, modules modules did actually have something of a story behind them, um, but it was very bare bones. No, not sometimes. Well, it depends on the module. Depends on the module. Um, for instance, uh, around this time is when the uh, the whole it actually turned into this campaign um, of this is the first one of the first comprehensive campaigns that included uh, started with Against the Slave Lords or the Slavers Trilogy um, or Quadral or Quartet what have you Quadrilogy Quad, yeah there's the, the Slavers then it cur- turns into Against the Giants and then you go into the Underdark and you know uh, uh, basically end up fighting Wolf um, it's just this whole big thing but each of them had a story behind them um, so yeah, I mean, there was usually a hook. It was very basic, uh, you know. Like then, then you had things like you know, um, oh, uh, keep on Borderlands. There's a place. There's monsters. Kill some stuff. You know, mm-hmm. why are orcs and goblins and gnolls all in this one little place called the Caves of Chaos? You know. <laughs> Why are they not fighting for the limited resources in the area? Yeah. You know, why are they not killing each other off? Because, you know, why have the orcs and the ogre not enslaved the goblins and hired the gnolls as mercenaries? Right. <laughs> yeah, you got, <laughs> you, know? you got to have a reason why these hierarchies aren't in place. Exactly, exactly. When you, you know, but back then, you know, again, Cork, 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 good evening. Yeah. <laughs> you know? much, yeah. And it was just like, uh, which is now my favorite, you know, verbal meme. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> um, well, I, may, I, I added the, I added the beat, good evening. <laughs> yeah, fair. But, uh, yeah, it, it, Strahd was the first villain I actually felt sympathy for. Well, it's because he's actually kind of a sympathetic villain. He's being yeah tortured because he did a bad thing once, right? right. And, and well, okay, Here, here's he's being tortured for all eternity because he did a bad thing once. Yeah, well, you I know, mean, that's a bit underselling. You the bad thing your, he did was kill his own brother. Yeah, kill your own brother. That's pretty bad. That's like that, that's literally Cain and Abel. Yeah, and, different story, but same act. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, kill your brother over a girl. Which, by the way, is interesting because. In many mythos, at least the uh, World of Darkness, White Wolf, Onyx Path style, that is a origin story the, of, of vampires as Cain yeah, being the original Cain vampire. Cain is the first vampire. Right. Hence the curse and all that stuff. So with... Uh, um, so, yeah, and, and the funny thing is, is as it grows, I mean, because originally Ravenloft and then, uh, was it uh, House on Griffin Hill? Um, you know, You're uh, a little bit farther back even than me. 
Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Old guy. <laughs> Are you just talking about old school modules in general? Or? Yeah. Well, okay. there was a sequel to Ravenloft called oh. House on Griffin Hill, I think. Um, oh yeah, I don't. I don't know about that. Um, that you know, I, I played once. It was by comparison to Ravenloft, not as memorable to me. So since we're on the topic of uh, old Ravenloft stuff, anyway, um, <laughs> which is yeah, <laughs> since we're on the topic of the, uh, of, of, the uh, of old, welcome to the room, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have to lean into it this episode. Exactly. Um, why don't we do it? We, we'll, we can do a quick round table here of our, our first experience with the Ravenloft setting. Obviously, yours was the OG. Yeah, the right? o, the OG eighty three uh, Ravenloft. 83. Yeah, and it was it all took place inside Castle Ravenloft. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I loved how you could actually play that that game more than once because it it uh, moved things around. Yeah. Because the you know It's the, kinda like a it's like a tabletop equivalent to a procedurally generated video game, right? After fashion because when the GM basically started by pulling five of six cards in a specific order. Oh, so the Troka went back to the original thing, basically? Um the the base of the Troka was where is the Sun Sword? Uh, yeah, yeah. draw a card for that. Yeah, where, where is the, the yeah. Tome of Strahd? Right, right. Where is the Holy Sword? Right. Uh you know, and it would change where they were. Interesting. Uh and it would also change uh, and, but the Taroka, yeah, actually was uh, was um, brought out in the original Ravenloft setting, and like most things D and D, there was a, there was a you could actually generate it either with a uh, now our GM our DM because back then it was DM. Uh, and so if it's D&D, I still say DM. Right. Our DM actually Same. used a used a deck of cards, of regular playing cards, right. because tarot cards were evil back then. <laughs> well, I mean, you're already playing D&D. So yeah, I know. Yeah. Well, honestly, if you're already <laughs> playing D&D in the, in the, what, 80s, you might as yeah. well also pull out the tarot cards, Yeah, I mean, right? lean into that shit, man. Yeah, no doubt. You lean know, in. Yeah, drink red Kool-Aid and pretend it's blood. <laughs> <laughs> Light candles, draw pentagrams. Right? Try to actually summon the devil. Why not? Other generic things. Dance around with robes, you know, because yeah. nobody wanted to see us naked. <laughs> So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, he used a deck of playing cards that he that he pulled out in and created. Do a, you remember? Uh, do you remember what your character class was? Any, uh, I that? was playing a cleric. Ah, always a strong choice in that setting. <laughs> yeah, in that setting. Only the thing was is that you literally did not get your cleric spells back. Oh, I, I rescind really... my statement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was like what you got is what you got because you were cut off from. Yeah, from God. God. that does make sense. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, and it was just like, <gasps> so yeah, I remember, um, I remember just about getting my ass beat and agonizing over whether or not to use one of my cure light wounds. Mm. Uh, I ended up having to save my own ass. Um, and, you know... Limited uh, resources games are fun sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, and it makes for hard decisions, which is basically the essence of drama. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, it was it was a very rough game. And... Um, because, yeah, you were, we were literally playing you had to have contact with your god, you know. Yeah. Um... And mage spells worked way different uh, there. Um, I mean, there was there was a whole list of things, you know, that, that worked differently. Certain spells, as I recall, uh, certain spells just did not work. So, uh, in your Ravenloft experience over the years, have you ever DM'd, or has it all just been playing? Um, 
I've played... I've never DM'd a full Ravenloft module. I started to. I read the whole module. Uh-huh. Uh, but that, that game... And it was... That game... Ravenloft is a hard module to run if you are not... With if you're not running for a group that is going to take it seriously, right? Ravenloft does not lend itself to a Monty Python esque. Yeah, I, I feel that's worth mentioning is that uh, anyone who uh, is thinking of DMing uh, Ravenloft, be it Curse of Strahd or an older version, um, it does bear mentioning, or even if you're just playing, it bears mentioning that I feel like that setting um, or module, if it's just the module. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's more important than the average setting or module to have a group that you're like uh, that you're comfortable with and people like there's a give and take there because if people yeah like you said if people aren't willing to take it seriously or people aren't like they're not wanting the same things out of a game like a certain like how much do people want to role play how much do people want to hack and slash stuff like that like yeah. all that stuff comes into which is important regardless for any group when you're organizing it or maintaining it but um, that is especially important for that because the whole point is that it's got the core. So if people are just going to be like dicking around the whole time, like mm-hmm. why even do it? You know, yeah. like right. I, and that's okay if there's a group like if one you know if one or two people want to do it and the rest of the group doesn't, then just come to some sort of consensus on something else and play something else. Yeah. But right. it's important that everyone's on the same page if you're going to do Gothic core in general, right? You know? mm-hmm. Which yeah, and and I, I think when I also read the Ravenloft novel. Um, and uh, the, the one that PNL Rod wrote, and is that Ice Strahd or is that a different one? Um, I'm there have been several over the years, but yeah. And the thing is, is I, I actually got that one. I actually found that one on my girlfriend's bookshelf, uh, and it was very good. Um, yeah, I have to check that out. I'm a big PNL Rod fan. Her Vampire fi- File series is awesome. Yeah, I'm actually friends with her on Facebook. Cool. She lives down in Dallas. She's cool. She is. She can get kind of salty sometimes. She's kind of. She's really fun to read. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, it is when you're when you're dealing with something like Ravenloft, it does take a lot of. Um, because, like, in the first game, when we were playing, you know, we were... I mean, okay, 1983, I was in ninth grade. Uh, <laughs> yes, yeah, so we how, were, you, how you approach it then would be very different than, like, now or ten years ago or whatever. Right, know? but we were we were very serious about, you know, we were the Hawkins, you know, the yeah. kids from, from Stranger Things. Right. Uh, <laughs> you, you know. Yeah, it was fun, but you took it seriously. Exactly, exactly. Which made it more fun. Precisely. Um, let's see here. And I was just looking up the. Uh, um. well, and that's the thing that, like, you know, is bears mentioning too. I feel is that, like, you know, that that kind of idea uh, or attitude mm-hmm. it can apply to so many different things in fandoms. Like, you know, I, I, everybody knows a sports fan that takes it very seriously, but oh, it's yeah. just sports. Yeah, exactly. And it's like it's the same thing with D and D or anything else. Like, yeah. you can be really invested in something and take it seriously, but at the same time, not take it too seriously. Right. So it's like you know, I, I feel like sometimes that gets a bad rap when it comes to a particular hobby or game. When really you can point mm-hmm. your finger at anything like that, and there'll be people that take something very seriously with like a particular sport or even just trivia or whatever. Like yeah. you know, any show or movie like it's just a thing well yeah and, and see and, and that at the time you know you know ninth grade I mean we were like what 14 yeah 15 you know we were trying to be we were trying to be serious 
and we had no sense of gravitas to play to because you haven't lived much of life yet exactly. at that point. <laughs> yeah. you know and, and so you know we were trying to be what we thought was and so i think we pulled it off well because we, right. you know as a cleric i was very you know very stern and upright and right. you know i don't drink wine and you know blah 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 you know i don't no, 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 it goes like this i don't drink wine no no <laughs> strad right I was like, Larry, I don't forget, because I had that deep voice thing going on, and I was very, you know, yeah. very, uh, you know, very set in my ways. And, uh, it's, a, it's a bit of a fun paradox, because it's like, uh, well, I don't know if that's properly paradox, but anyway, my point is, um, you know, it's like, if you do something like that young, where you're still figuring out who you are, like, there's stuff you're not going to be able to really understand or pull off, but at the same time, if you don't uh, kind of put your toe in that water, you don't yeah. get the benefit of kind of, like, helping figure out who you are and like having that mold you you know like i think there's value in both ways like there's value in doing something like this where you don't have the full like you know life experience to kind of like Mm -hmm. pull it off but at the same time you know after the fact when you when you are into your adult life you can revisit something or do something a little different that's similar uh and you know appreciate it in a whole new level like the quick example i will give uh is the Calvin and Hobbes comic strip is amazing. It's my favorite comic strip ever. Yeah. When I was a kid, I would read it all the time. Every every time it was in the newspaper. And then I I didn't get a lot of it back then because I was young and I didn't yeah. get what he was really saying and a lot of the subtext. Then when I would I, I got the books and I kind of collected the books through the little Scholastic Book Fair things, which are amazing by the way. Uh, and then re rereading those. Scholastic Book Fair. Yeah, as an adult. I went back and I'm like, wow, there's so much here that then I realized. Yeah, it's like watching. So it's like there's value in you know there's value in experiencing certain things you know as a kid as you're growing up and then afterwards as well. See, and I remember the end of it when we were fighting Strahd, and I didn't have the sun sword, but you know we were trying to knock him down to the point where we could you we could kill him. Yeah, and our uh, we were blessed with a very good GM who could pull a serious game off and at the end of it you know my my clear character you know bashing Strahd down and we're just you know he's just close to the end um, and he did a, he did one of the very first cinematic moments I'd ever seen uh, and you know he was like um, uh, he was like you know I will not die uh, and you, know, you may be free of here, but you will not. Uh, but uh, you know, I will. I will endure. And it's like I know. And I was like, I know. This is your punishment. I almost pity you. Almost. <laughs> you know. And then. Um, yeah. Now, <laughs> I would. You know, I, I would pull that. I would pull that line off differently. I think. Well, I think I did pull that line off differently. <laughs> well, you know, it's still. Of course, it's still apt. I think that's an interesting concept in and of itself is um, that is one of the the truest forms of like heroism or duty or whatever is when you're fighting when when you're fighting and you know that ultimately like there's just going to have to be like the fight never truly ends like no matter how successful you are you never truly win there's never like an like you know I mean in, in reality like people constantly do all these things people give to charity and volunteer their time and they try to yeah. they try to turn people away from you know uh, bad things bad things evil you know breaking the law hurting people but at the end of the day there's always going to be evil 
There's always going to be criminals. There's always going to be poverty. Like, no matter how much you do, you never really solve the problem or win the fight. It's the fight itself that's virtuous. Right. So it's kind of fitting that, like, you know, that lesson, if you will, is told in, this, in the context of Ravenloft. Yeah. And again, that's what makes it so truly tragic is that even the bad guys are tormented themselves. Right. Like, so it's just like, you know, there's layers of dread when yeah. <laughs> within the uh, dimensions of dread. Right. See, and, and, if, and if I'd had that cinematic scene playing the character I played last time, yeah. random, you know, it would have been, you know, we're not so different, you and I. No, we're not, except I win. <laughs> you know, yeah. You know, yeah. Because, you know, I'm much more reverent now. I can still play serious, but, you know, uh, I have different coping mechanisms. So, uh, Neil, what about you? Same question. What's your first experience with Ravenloft? I've never played or DM Ravenloft. Oh, snap. I have... <clears throat> So, I am very... I'm actually pretty familiar with Ravenloft because I've read a shit ton of it. Ah, okay. I just assumed that you had played because you seem to have such a fondness for the setting. No, I... Well, here's my thing. I like horror when it's done right. Yeah. Just across the board. I like Lovecraft. Right. I like... The I like the old monster movies. I like yeah. I like gothic horror. Which, by the way, isn't a side here because we're talking about D and Dracula and all that. If you mm-hmm. haven't read the original Dracula book and watched the original Dracula movie, they hold up. They are great. Yeah, that that's one of the reasons that I like World of Darkness so much because it's dark because it's uh, and we'll, we'll ignore the fact that White Wolf made a bad version of Ravenloft at one point, but um, yeah, <laughs> that's because. As Ben said, they Ravenloft White Wolf doesn't know how to doesn't do D and D horror yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, you can't, you can't bat a thousand. But um, yeah, no, they, they do great for what they do. But they're more yeah, I like I like dark settings, and I like the idea of play of characters who are struggling against the darkness, but in the end, it's kind of futile. Yeah. yeah. So the main reason I know. A lot about World of uh, about World of Darkness. Sorry about uh, Ravenloft, mm-hmm. is because it piques my interest. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, that's very Lovecraftian. The futility of the struggle. Yeah. Yeah. And you know when you look at it's kind of interesting. You bring more Harlan Ellison like I have yeah. no mouth and I'm a scream. Right. Right. <laughs> um, so you know, thinking along those lines, you know, when you look at Ravenloft, um, when I pl- when I played Ravenloft, I was playing characters who were uniquely unprepared. Yeah, and un, you know, uniquely poorly, um, I don't know what's the word, uh, qualified. Yeah, what's the whole fish out of water thing? Right. It's a lot more interesting if uh, you know you have a character who has an outlook or you know life experience or whatever skills Mm -hmm. that wouldn't seem at least at first glance to be compatible with it. Right. As opposed to like somebody metaing up some great hunt monster hunter who then just conveniently gets transported into you know Ravenloft, Rovia, or whatever you know, rocks right. through the mists and finds themselves in an off in an odd country. It's like Danny Trejo with like you know style from uh, from Desperado instead of knives at stakes. Yeah, and like all these. It's like oh look at oh gee I guess I just I better do what I I'm gonna do. Yeah, <laughs> which yeah, again is why like, it's important to have a group that's like right. mature well, about it. You mm-hmm. know, yeah. Kind of well, I mean it's, it's like. Yeah, when I played first, it was cleric, and the only thing I could fall back on my faith, which made me kind of dickish. This time <clears> I played it, I was a, I was a playing a tiefling sorceress who was a con woman. You know, she fell back on wine. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. But 
you know, throw Guy Midnight into that into that setting. That would be interesting. <laughs> it would be. I, I would love to have seen our World of Darkness characters suddenly show up in Barovia and be like, the fuck? Yeah. yeah. It's like, it's like target rich environment. <laughs> you know, because the thing about it is, is even playing in that, in that, the, you know, that Guy Midnight was supposed to be the least likely character and turned out to be the most bloodthirsty bastard of the group. <laughs> yeah, it happens. Yeah. You know, because he was the one who would start a gunfight if things were going too slow. And playing against type in general can be fun. Yeah. <coughs> but, you know, that he would have, you know, uh, Duncan would have been like, oh, yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, give me a pair of steaks, I'm, you know, I'm ready to go. <clears throat> um, but, you know, that yeah, I think that is part of the appeal of Ravenloft is, yeah, your character is unprepared and yeah. un... Yeah, well, that's always been a hallmark of the setting is, like, um, like you are the underdog, and mm-hmm. the odds are against you, and it's not like... You can never take for granted, like, um, how difficult an encounter, how tough a fight is. Like, you always have to... There's always that tension of... Uh, okay, do do we need to like do we Run? need to fall back? Do we need to get the hell out of here? Do we need to try something differently? Yeah. In a lot of D and D settings, there's just kind of this like you know, assuming. I mean, it kind of depends on the DM and the dynamic of the group, but like a lot of people just kind of do things like, oh well, you know, they'll balance it out. Right. You know, and it's no. like, well, no, not in this. Like, yeah. and by the way, that's worth. Uh, pointing out is if you're going to put a group together, make sure everyone knows what they're getting themselves into, because it's like this is a difficult module people probably will die or at least they're a lot more likely to in this setting and just is there as long as everyone's on board they can be super fun but you don't want to you don't want to have somebody not really realize what they're getting themselves into and then find out the hard way and right. this is a perfect uh <laughs> perfect example of this is uh when i when i did my curse of strahd game which ben was played random in um yeah. the uh, the the initial fight now admittedly um, I didn't realize quite how uh, I kind of underestimated how dangerous these Strahd zombies were uh, because you have to realize. Well, so did we. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it's like it, I consider it an even split. Like I underestimated it, and so did the players. So the chips fell where they may, and that's fine. Yo, no, that was and the things and that ends up that being set the perfect. tone. Yeah, yeah, no, it worked out perfectly. I was I was worried at the time because it looked like it was going to be a little too crazy, but it actually worked out perfectly. So yeah. basically. The thing about uh, Strahd zombies are uh, they're super easy to hit, just like any zombie. And they have a mechanism where you can, like, hack off limbs and stuff if you do a certain amount of slashing damage, and they're fun. Uh, But they also have a good amount of hit points. As opposed to a regular zombie, they they take a lot more punishment, although they're easy to hit. And then the the key thing is they have multi-attack three times. That's yeah. almost unheard of at that low of a level. Like, multi-attack, even regular multi-attack where you attack twice, tends to be a few levels in. So these are zombies that don't do a whole lot of damage, but they attack three times. And you got to remember, these are level one characters, so they're relatively easy to hit. Yeah. So what happened is, you had the group come into Barovia, you've got Random, you've got um, Matthias, which was Wookiee's Bloodhunter uh, blood human character... You had uh, Tiffany's yeah. character, who yeah. was a uh, uh, was she a, a rogue assassin? Was she a wood elf or a half elf? Uh, she was a half elf, I think. I think she's a half elf. Yeah, half elf, rogue assassin. Um, and then uh, my my wife joined the campaign later, so she wasn't around yet. But then we uh, had uh, and then we had Billy's character at the time, uh, Brecken, the druid, Brecken, Brecken, druid, yeah. uh, who I believe was a uh, high elf. 
And uh, so they, so that's uh, what four? Because my wife hadn't joined. Yeah, yeah, four players. So they come in. You know, they're they're uh, basically do the the setting where you you're out camping, doing some sort of quest, some sort of venturing, and then the miss happen. And you don't realize it first, but things don't look familiar, and you're already in Barovia. You're like in the woods. So that was the intro. Is they're kind of being buffeted by the winds, by the or the the mists of Barovia, and they're they're going towards uh, the village of Barovia to kind of start the module and. You have this first encounter, these zombies kind of stagger out of the woods, and it's just like, oh, zombies, we're adventure. And by the way, this is very in character appropriate because yeah. the, char- the, the, the characters are like, oh, okay, you know, we're adventurers, these are just zombies, whatever. And then, no, these aren't just normal zombies, and they're in over their heads. Yeah. And it was so crazy that, like, um, Brecken, the druid, he didn't even get to his initiative before he was killed by these zombies. Yeah, that's how bad it was. <laughs> we lost a player character before he got it. And they weren't they weren't really targeting anybody. They were just kind of yeah. attacking who was nearby and what made sense. So right. he got eaten by zombies before his initiative order came up. Like that's the most that's the most like OG D and D thing I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah, it, it was at that point that I mean that was where Random's survival instincts I think saved the party uh, because it was like. We need to run. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. it was like, fuck this, leave Matthias, because Matthias had gone down by the time by that time. Well actually had... Matthias was um, Matthias was wounded and about to go down and he actually decided to stay back to mm-hmm. and that was, so it was a combination of her and Matthias really. Yeah. And Matthias is like, I'll hold them off, get out of here. Yeah, and, and, and she's uh, like, okay, you and so yeah. everyone else ran. Uh, so you had uh Brecken's <laughs> yeah. dad being eaten by zombies. It's yeah. like Walking Dead style, they're just munching on his flesh. Right. And then you had um then you yep. had Matthias, who was about to get knocked out and probably killed. And what happened there is, yeah, he did, but then there's an optional rule where if a character dies before, like, level four, yeah. you can have them come back, but come back not quite right. Yeah. And uh, so he had a, a basically enhanced his paranoia and stuff, and he became somewhat insane. Uh, so that was basically the perfect opening to Barovia, because it's like, oh, hey, look, uh, insanity and death. Welcome to Barovia. Right. Half <laughs> the party, we lose half the party in the first, not combat, first round yeah. of combat. Yeah, basically one round that all happened. Yeah. Yep. And yeah. so, yeah, half the party. So, yeah, Random didn't actually save the party. She saved her ass and Theus. Right. <laughs> and that, uh, and that, that was, uh, and it worked out perfectly because uh, Billy wound up playing a character that he enjoyed much more anyway, which was his half-orc barbarian Vlad, which there's yeah. a lot of uh, slips of the tongue with Vlad and Strahd, you can imagine. But, yeah, we call you um, <laughs> Yeah. But anyway, it was fun because basically uh, with the Bloodhunter thing, uh, people that, there are not many of them, but people that are aware of Bloodhunters tend not to like them because they're somewhat monstrous themselves and they're somewhat abomination style. Uh, you know, a lot of people fear and um, fear and loathe them. Fear and loathe them, yes. So <laughs> only in Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> so there's the the backstory for his new character. He took the the urban bounty hunter background and it was basically that he was hired to hunt down Matthias. So uh, that was yeah. some interesting conflict there early on, but uh, they basically banded together to survive as one does, and the rest is history. So yeah. that was an interesting opening. And it was to that the opening that basically the first time Random got to alcohol, she was all over that. Yeah. Because, yeah, she was a con artist. She was a sorcerer, she was a con artist. She was, you know, the possibly the worst choice to come to Barovia. 
<laughs> you know? And, you know, uh, with her personality and coping and stuff, she just naturally kind of multiclassed into Bard. <laughs> right. So some Bard in there as well. Yeah, because, and, and, and the thing is, is with that character, it was, she went from, hello, I'm, you know, hello, I'm smooth and suave, to I am a fireball slinging, fireball slinging right. artillery unit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she leaned into the destructive stuff out of necessity. Oh, yeah. I got a lot of use out of uh, spider web. Oh, yeah, no, it's just web. called web. Yeah, out of web. <laughs> Which is kind of thematically appropriate for the setting. Yeah. Uh, well, by and, the way, uh, magic and, because uh, you mentioned this in the original Ravenloft, uh, there's a lot of fun things where in the in Curse of Strahd, there's a lot of differences uh, with like how magic at least looks, not necessarily functions. Yeah. Like for example, if you cast Mage Hand, the cantrip, and normally it's just like a purple or I think it's purple. I don't know if they specify the color, but that's how I picture it, and that's how it's usually depicted. Right. It's like a spectral hand, spectral arcane hand comes out of the ether, and blah blah. Well, it's a skeletal hand in Barovia, right? And, and, and find familiar, find familiar. Yeah, yeah, it's an undead version of whatever the familiar is. So you f- you learn that the hard way, where you're <laughs> familiar, familiar. Rand is familiar, who's a raven, <laughs> just kind of shows up, and she's this like weird, like skeletal, somewhat. Like desiccated flesh, mongrel mess, zombie raven, yeah, zombie raven, basically, yeah. And and the funny thing is, is raven, uh, uh, random calls never uh, over to her, and Vlad, oh, you know, yeah. in the middle of you know, calls calls her her familiar over to her to go check out something. Well, Vlad, and this is the first time random had seen her familiar, right, in uh, in Ravenloft. And Vlad axe chops the fuck out yeah. of it because oh, undead bird, clack. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's understandable. It's like it's, you're in Barovia, undead raven comes out of nowhere, it's flying in your direction, so he reacts and chops yeah. it, and poof, yep, yeah, just one shots it, you know, and and. and but and that was also in the same house that we found all the really good wine, and again, right. you know, she's like, this will do. But and that was the other thing about Barovia is in playing playing it this time, um, what led Random to actually playing going Bard was when we were in the Gypsy camp. Yeah, the Vistani. The Vistani, yeah, the Vistani Gypsy. I, I mean, they're D and D Gypsies. Let's be honest, but yeah, yeah well, they're Vistani. Yeah, I just I I don't actually like the term, uh, but yeah, the Vistani camp. And seeing how big a part music played. Right. And these are people who were happy, cheerful sounding and acting. And Random's like... She's like, I want to be able to do that too. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, how do you do this? Yeah. Well, it's the music. Right. And that was where she picked up her first musical instrument. Right. And yeah, it makes sense. You know, yeah. that was what... You know, You're like, looking for any sort of life preserver in that environment. So yeah, she's exactly. like, okay, cool, let's do this. I, I need under- a coping mechanism. I understand this. Yes. I, know, yeah. <laughs> I need a coping mechanism. I know wine. Not, I know music. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. I need a coping mechanism that does not come in a bottle. <laughs> yeah. I don't always have bottles. Right. Yeah, the Vastani are, are interesting. Um, they, uh, the, the TLDR thing with them is that they... Uh, when Strahd was still a human, when he was like, you know, a prince who was wounded in battle, he stumbled into a Vistani camp and they nursed him back to health. And so he swore that they would always be welcome in his lands and all that and was loyal to them forever. So whenever he became Count Strahd von Zervich and a vampire lord and all that, the Vistani still have his loyalty. So they can actually go out of Barovia, back into Barovia at will because of this relationship that they have with Strahd. So yeah, they're they're kind of so they kind of end up being on the one hand enablers, 
but on the other, they're still independent of him. Right. It's it's an interesting like tension they have going on there because like many of them are lackeys and spies, but many of them don't really. They just fear him and give him lip, lip service. So you never know what you're going to get with the Vistani, you know? Yeah. There's that wild card thing going on there. Yeah, and, and again, it was the Vistani, you know, that basically, you know, was like, oh, you can actually, you can be cheerful and, and fun, you know, right. in this shithole setting. <laughs> well, I'm sure part of that is the fact that they know that they can actually leave. Yeah. There's less hopelessness when it's like, oh, I can actually, even if it, even if most of that is just an illusion. Yeah. They have that mind space of, I'm not truly a prisoner here. I'm going to choose to be here for a while. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. Whereas everyone else is just hopeless. Well, yeah, and for Random, that was just her seeing what she wanted to see. Right. And, you know, whereas with my cleric, right. it was, I mean, when we, uh, our, our DM you know, you could recharge your spells by using scrolls. Hmm. Um, so, you know, or you could just use the scroll. And... That's another thing, by the way, just in general, for people who aren't aware of the setting and want to know more about it. Um, the uh, That's another um, trope or aspect of the, uh, of the setting of Ravenloft is um, you don't have much stuff. You don't have much resources. It's not like it's a high very, fantasy thing where you can oh let's just go to a big city and buy some magic crap. Yeah, it's very it's very much less the the typical D and D which is shopping the 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 game. It's less it's less House of the Dead and more Resident Evil. Yeah, you're not just blowing well, up all the stuff. It should be pointed out Resident Evil one through three. Okay, yeah, that's true. Yeah, uh, <laughs> less 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 original Resident Evil, and, yeah. and or or the new one, the Resident Evil Seven slash Bio. It's kind of been all over the place, but yeah, because yeah. that got back very much back to its survival horror roots. Yeah, yeah, and you know the things you could buy in that town. I mean, some of the, and even and in everything's original, horribly overpriced, even if it is available. <laughs> yeah, because well, you know supply and demand. Yeah, well, and the, just some of the macabre stuff. Because in the first one, you don't really. I mean, you're yeah. all inside. The, you know the castle. You're trying to get the fuck out. Uh, in you know in in the later versions, yeah, you're doing more. Um, but yeah, I mean, th- there was the doll maker. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, where random bought Blinsky. Blinsky, yeah. Where random bought two dolls from him simply because they were they were macabre and fit her strangely. There's no fun. There's no Blinsky. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of interesting characters in that setting. Yeah. Um, but you know and. and the winery, I think, was Random's favorite place. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I should have saw that coming. I was like, okay, so the street signs, uh, you know, it's like, over here, such and such, over here, the blood of the vine, uh, vineyard, and they're like, oh, vineyard? Okay, we're going that way. Yeah, we're going that way. Oh, of course. <laughs> I know left, always left, but fine. <laughs> we'll make an exception. <laughs> but yeah. booze, yeah. I, and the, the thing about it is, yeah, it was, at the one hand, on the one hand, hopeless, but... As and this is the other thing about the setting of Ravenloft. In canon, <coughs> only there are only three known people who have ever escaped outside of the the uh, Vistani who ever escaped um, Ravenloft: um, Lord Soth, the Lich Vecna, and every adventuring party ever. Right. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you brought up that. <laughs> because that was actually the first time place I ran into Ravenloft was in studying uh, uh-huh. in studying Planescape. Right? Yeah. Because 
That was how Vecna broke into Sigil. Ah. Was through Ravenloft. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, see, I didn't even realize the Vecna thing until I looked stuff up for the episodes. So yeah, yeah. It's educational. That, yeah. And it is. It was theorized that that was also how Vecna gained immort- uh, gained godhood, because it's never been like. Yeah. If you're not familiar with Vecna, he's a Greyhawk deity. He is the god of secrets. Okay, actually, <laughs> okay. Let, let's let's retro that all the way back. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vecna got. Retroed into Greyhawk deity. Originally, mm-hmm. Vecna was just an eyeball and a hand. Yep. <laughs> the right uh, eye and le- the left eye and right hand of Vecna. Yeah, the hand of Vecna. Uh, the, he was basically two artifacts: the hand right. of Vecna and the eye of Vecna. Yep. Um, and his lieutenant uh, was a sword, the sword of Kas. Right. Um, and they were artifact level thing, magic items in the dungeon, uh, dungeon master. Yeah, they guide. they brought that back in fifth edition. By the way, they yeah. had those artifacts in there. Yeah. But the Vecna that I'm familiar with mm-hmm. is a is the god of secrets um, in uh, in the world of Greyhawk. And the only thing that's ever been officially published about him as to how he attained godhood was. He it was he got some sort of information that got that gained him godhood. Right. One of my favorite theories as to what was this was that he worked out the reason for sigil and why the Lady of Pain was there. Hmm. Um, and this was information that was too uh, that that that. What well, that could not be gotten out, and so essentially, he blackmailed the gods to say, "Okay, well, I know this thing, right? So I'll tell everyone, unless you make me a god." <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not sure what you got going on there. That'd be a shame if something happened to it. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> That's great. Um, yeah. It's very mafioso. Yeah. <laughs> the other, what a piece of the action. <laughs> the other fun theory that I've heard is that the Lady of Pain made Vecna a god to kick him out of Sigil. Right? Because the gods cannot enter Sigil. And she was like, oh yeah? Here's the elephant. Fuck you. You're a god. What? <laughs> Congratulations, you are now a god. Now get out. Yeah. <laughs> Infinite power, but I can't go there. Shit. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. definitely falls under the be careful what you wish for. Yeah, right. You know. well, yeah, and and uh, it's interesting because you know, uh, you know, some some gods, deities, whatever mm-hmm. you want to call them, uh, are of the opinion that it's not so great being a, a god or a deity. It's it's lonely on top. Yeah, you know? unless you're unless you're. Uh, was it Caden, uh, uh, <laughs> huh? From uh, Pathfinder, Caden Kalian. Oh, Caden, yeah, yeah Caden Kalian, who he randomly stumbled into godhood. Right, he was like, hey, one what? He's one of the he's one of the few good gods on the lawful evil scale on the on the not the law, the on the good evil uh, mm-hmm. alignment scale. That has a fun origin story. That's one of the reasons I like. Yeah, all of the evil gods are really interesting. Like often, the good ones are boring and take themselves too. Yeah, seriously. the good ones like hi, I'm, hello, I'm your Jesus stand-in. Yeah, yeah, and you know, be good, yes. right? I and, said so. I'm watching, <laughs> and Cain's more like hippie Christ. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but like 
Uh, to tangent off a little bit too, that's one of the reasons I like uh, in I like Osmodius in Pathfinder as well because he's the god of contracts, right? Um, yeah, long and yeah, yeah, and a f- and was there at the signing of the contract that created the multiverse. And his clergy claims that there's a uh, that there's a hidden clause in that that will allow him to assume absolute power at some point. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so he's definitely the patron deity of lawyers, right? Um, well, in in Galarian, <laughs> typically the courts are sat by three judges, who are three clerics of who are who are the three clerics of the lawful triumvirate. Yeah, that's what I was. Iomade, yeah. Abadar. And Osmodius. That's what I assumed. Lawful good, lawful neutral, lawful evil. Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Interesting. And you, and essentially, so you have the good and the evil judge, and the neutral judge is sort of mediator between the two of them. Right. Huh. <laughs> it's an so interesting it's, concept. So I'm knowing that the, the the three gods that are the most hardcore lawful. Well, they all <laughs> and the names, you mm-hmm. know, uh, Imide, Iomide, Iomide, uh, Amadar, and Asmodeus. Yeah. That's so they're Mateus, the mods. Mateus. They're the moderators. Uh, Mateus, 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 Mateus. Well, originally it was uh, it was uh, <laughs> it was <laughs> long long ago. It was uh, it was Aridin, but then Aridin died. So yeah, so so much for power. <laughs> I don't know a whole lot about the um, the older school Ravenloft stuff, but in the Curse of Strahd Ravenloft setting, um, Barovia um, deities religion. The the basic thing there is that. Um, um, you have the Morning Lord and uh, the whatever the Night equivalent is. I have to look it up to confirm. But you um, make sure that it burned down the bathroom. That uh, you know, there's there's various um, I guess you can say levels of um, piety or whatever, and often it's just viewed as a coping mechanism and thing because if they don't at least think that there's some sort of higher power that's not terrible. Right. Then they they have no reason to get through their day to day lives. Yeah. Um, so and, and and it was it was kind of weird in playing that. I oh, remember, Night Mother, I think it is. Night Mother. I'll yeah. double check, but I think that's what it is. Yeah, it was kind of weird in playing through that because it was so the the contrast between the in the party. I remember early on the church and the and the guy who had been converted to a vampire, but he was still, you know, he was resisting Strahd. And the party split hard yeah. on that, and I think that's one of the one of the things about Ravenloft is that there is no absolute good, you know. Only you're always trying to make the least shitty choice. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You're a whole trying, lot of shitty choices. Yeah, a whole lot of bad choices. Because I remember we, you know, it's like uh, Random was adamant, adamant that we not kill the priest's son. Um. And I think we got, I think uh, Thea, um, was it Thea who, because... Well, I know Matthias wanted to kill him. Oh yeah, Matthias was like, and at that point... And Bloodhunter is kind of what he does. Yeah, and at that point, Thea was, I think Random was almost entirely alone in that point of view. I don't think anybody agreed with her. Because uh, Vlad sure as hell didn't. He was like, let's kill him now. <laughs> you know, because yeah. Vlad. Uh, and I don't even think Thea had a, you know, uh, had a strong, you know, lean one way or the other. I right. think she kind of went with, uh, went with, uh, um, Matthias. Matthias, yeah. 
and you know it was I, I was I was surprised that we actually left with that guy still alive. Yeah, well, I think a lot of it had to do with the interaction itself because you know um, if he hadn't been uh, if he didn't say some of the stuff he did and wasn't mm-hmm. forthcoming. He would just be essentially like, oh, well, this is basically, this is the vampire equivalent of a rabbit dog, so you put it down, you move on. Mm-hmm. But when when he, you know, conversed with him and he saw that he was trying really hard to not succumb to this, it kind of swayed people a bit. And they are still leaning towards, man, we're going to have to kill him eventually, but it's like, well, okay, we can at least put a pin in this now yeah. and not have it bite us in the ass because we might need the priest and we shouldn't kill his son. Right, yeah. <laughs> so it was, more of a, it was more of a pragmatic thing than a moral thing is uh, from... Uh, other people's perspective besides randoms yeah uh so that was interesting and then you know in the end it turned out he was actually able to be uh redeemed freed of that thrall um yeah yeah there's no way to know that at the time yeah but it was one of the it was it was one thing that as a as a character random took great pleasure in in uh you know saying i told you so right (laughs) you know because it was one of the few times she ended up being on the right side of something. Well, and I think <laughs> being a tiefling, she has a lot of experience with people coming to a conclusion. Evil! Evil! Yeah. Yeah. Evil! Yeah, pretty much. What, what, why are you saying evil? You've got horns! So do cats. <laughs> <laughs> so do cattle. Hey, yeah. look at you. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it was... But yeah, moments was... like this or what, uh, like that are what make the setting super interesting. Yeah. Because you have so much potential for party conflict. Because, again, it's like you're faced with these moral dilemmas and these terrible situations, and you just have to decide what you're going to do about it. Yeah. Ravenloft's one of the few settings that I can think of where it's a, it's easy to justify having an outright evil player, right. evil character, mm-hmm. in a party of good characters. Yeah. Because the enemy of my enemy becomes my friend. Yeah. Also, it's interesting to see, you know, how people change over the course of a campaign. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's a hallmark of the setting is people being corrupted by being in that area. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. very much Lord of the Rings, like, despair near uh, Mordor, in Mordor kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, so that's interesting. So from a GM's point of view... Um, I mean, because having having played having run this for a how much time we have left, yeah, about minutes, yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, how do you see how do you, how do you see how it affected the various characters? Well, um, in a weird way, it actually softened up Vlad because he was in a situation where he couldn't just punch it. He yeah. couldn't. I mean, granted, he often did. But ultimately, he had to rely on other people, and being around them in such an intimate setting where people had to rely on each other against overwhelming odds, he was he was thrust into a situation. Where he was essentially forced to empathize with these other people from different walks of life and everything. Yeah. So in a weird way, despite it being so uh, harrowing, it actually made him more empathetic and made him more uh, he could relate to people more. And he had to also another thing is. He was a bounty hunter who was pretty much just motivated by coin, and he went to a realm where coin was meaningless. So it also got him way out of his comfort zone because <clears throat> you can't just buy your way out of it, and you can't be motivated by coin. Like, he had to find something, I mean, mainly survival, of course, but uh, yeah. at a certain point, you have to find something besides simple survival because even if you're surviving, you're not living. Yeah, and that's, yeah. a, that's a hallmark of the setting is okay, what makes you want to not just off yourself here? Because you have to move on. You have to find some reason for going forward. So I think uh, quite counterintuitively, 
Vlad, the half-orc barbarian, ah, slash it and punch it guy, became a lot softer over the course of the campaign. And I think that's the main net result for him. Right. Uh, and of course, you know, you had the whole strange bedfellows thing where, you know, Matthias, uh, it worked <laughs> out that he actually got a lot more treasure in the long run by playing ball with Matthias and the rest. And then we had in the, um, in the epilogue, essentially him and Matthias teamed up to go against the employer that hired him in the first place, who is this kind of asshole wizard noble guy. Yeah. So that's how I think it affected Matthias. Yeah. And, um, and on my perspective, I'm sorry, not Matthias, uh, uh, Vlad. Vlad. Yeah. Yeah. Vlad. And Vlad and Matthias actually ended up becoming really good friends. That was almost a bromance. Yeah, it was, it was one of those, uh, it's kind of a Deadpool and Cable thing where it's like, we're fighting, we hit each other, and now we're kind of bros in a weird way, like, <laughs> by the time it's over, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know? Yeah, um, and then... Although, yeah. you know, a lot less comical, of course. Right. Um, as far as random goes, um, I think for her, um, it was uh, it was mainly the whole, like, um, the whole... Uh, having to come up with stuff on the fly instead of being able to have like a con she can fall back on it was her uh you know for her it was like okay i'm used to i'm used to being able to just kind of like know like be prepared for all these situations and have these things plotted out and you know even then you have a plan b when plan a screws up and all that but with that uh you had to she had to really like lean into her like improv improvisational skills and uh, dealing with all these people that, again, like uh, Vlad, um, dealing with these people that she's not used to dealing with. Because when she would do a con, she would either do it solo or she would do it with like a trusted partner or whatever. Whereas with this, she's in a terrible situation, like you know, very quickly, and um, you know, much of the party, at least Vlad, was completely new at the very least. You know, didn't mm. know each other, hadn't worked together very long. Uh, so I think for her, it's kind of a trial by fire where she kind of, you know, uh, and sometimes literally with all the fireballs flying around, <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. she had to kind of tap into, she had to kind of tap into herself and uh, to her innate abilities and bring those to a whole new level and then also be able to kind of, uh, you know, be the bard and be inspirational to others, you yeah. know. So I think there's a bit of a leadership thing going on there too where, you know, before it was just about pulling off the job and getting by, whereas now she's like, okay, I have these other people that depend on me and I depend on them and she had to, you know, do the whole bard thing and inspire them and be willing to move on. Yeah, she yeah. had she had one to trust really quick. Yeah. Uh, and I think for random one of the biggest moments was the second time we encountered Shrod and he knocked her down to zero in one shot. And she comes to with Vlad standing over her, basically going toe-to-toe -to -toe with Strahd. <laughs> and I'm just going, oh, well, maybe he does care about me. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, because there was this whole thing in there where <clears throat> Vlad was always hitting on every female. Random decided, okay, I'm just going to fuck with his head and make him think he got what he wanted, but can't remember it. Yeah. And... He's like, oh, we are married now. What? <laughs> and so that was the way that was that became the writing joke all the way through. Right. Random didn't think he really gave a damn, um, but she was also not used to anybody giving a damn about her. Right. And then suddenly everybody is standing, you know, because she went down. I mean, she went down hard. 
because uh, Strahd don't fuck around and he yeah, No, be, it's Strahd von goddamn Zarevich. And to, yeah. be, to be fair, the, the one-shot thing, that was more like after he had been wailed on for a long time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was one good hit that, you know, he kind of, like, backed off and missed it and stuff, but... Yeah, but yeah. He, knocked, he knocked Random down in one shot. Oh, I'm sorry, I thought you meant the other way around. No, no, yeah, you know... Strahd knocked he's, he knocked Brandon out early in that fight as I recall he was just like oh yeah, okay he, he got he got wounded but he didn't actually like you know go into mist form or anything per se right no that one and that was a that's a that's a hallmark of the thing is um, is Strahd Probably. messing with the players and testing the players and all that yeah um, and you know um, he didn't have a whole lot of like minions per se he just and that was the point I think is he wanted to see you know right. how they did when it was just him um, but yeah, that was a fun encounter. Would they make good minions? <laughs> <laughs> well, and then Matthias. <clears throat> yes, well, um, Matthias, um, so, well, Matthias being a blood hunter, I thought it would be fun. He, he took the background, which is, uh, one of the, uh, they have a few, like, additional options at the end of the Curse of Strahd book, and one of those is a background called Haunted, or Haunted One, and his, uh, his... Basically, it's like D&D PTSD to an extent, where, like, something horrific happened or there's something that's there's something in your past that has just made you um, very... have this, like, dark cloud over you mentally or spiritually or whatever. And right. one of the things about the... Uh, this is kind of funny, but not in the same, in the same time, is one of the, the class feature things is when you show up, you have this, like, aura of, like, sadness and tragedy and dread to the extent that people naturally pity you and will like help you and give you things because they feel so friggin' sorry for you. <laughs> so it's like, oh, hey, you know, stay at the end of night, like, on us, you know? Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's like, yeah, it's like, oh, good, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> anyway, with, so yeah. with Matthias, um, he had that going on, and his, uh, the thing he picked on the table was that his entire village was destroyed, and he was, like, the sole survivor. And I brought that, I brought that back in game to... <clears throat> turning out to be that the the monster and it was it basically says by some monster thing uh, that the monster turned out to be this were creature from Barovia in the first place and it was all part of a long game grooming process where Strahd wanted when Strahd found out about this concept of blood hunters he thought it would be a great addition for his like minions and servants and such so unbeknownst to Matthias he was actually being groomed. Uh, well, it's not so much that he found out about it, it's that he sent his lieutenant, if you will, to create this whole concept. So I had that be a twist where the whole blood hunter thing wasn't its own thing. It was actually Strahd planting those seeds to harvest them later. So the source of his power was actually evil in the first place, and he had no idea. So that led to a lot of cool, dramatic stuff. And yeah. So to get back to the core question there, Matthias... Uh, and that's why it's relevant, he found out that everything he thought was a strength and power was actually an evil, corrupting influence in the first place. Yeah. And so Matthias, you know, and there's a lot of the other stuff we already talked about, you know, bonding with the characters, finding skills that he didn't, you know, have yeah. and all that. Uh, but that was a main thing for him is in his epilogue, he rejected the blood hunter thing and became a, like, fighter, monster slayer, like, archetype. So he was no longer a blood hunter anymore because that was evil and wrong. And yeah. He was... It sounds evil and wrong. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It does. I mean, it's The Witcher. Well, and, yeah, it's essentially The Witcher D&Dized, and that's the whole concept of it is that part of it is wrong. Like, you become more of a monster to better fight monsters, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and then, of course, just, you know, we don't have a whole lot of time left but to touch on my wife's character... Um, 
she was a paladin who came in sh- roughly halfway through the campaign, um, Anissa, and she was a paladin of Kelimvor. And for those who aren't aware, Kelimvor is the you know god of the dead, who is like you know the dead should stay dead, and you know keep the whole realms of basically a uh, a Hades of D and D, if you will. You know the god of the afterlife and all That's that. Um, so you know, obviously, she has a vested interest in you know slaying undead things and all that, and she uh, you know hates all the stuff that uh, Strahd and uh, company stand for. Uh, and her um, <clears throat> a lot of her growth was that she she was an acolyte background. She grew up in a temple and she was very sheltered and everything. So she had a crash crash course with random and vlad around <laughs> so she learned yeah. how to actually like people you know how to talk to people and how to not be quite so tight and she actually drank a, a little bit and so just general like nobody that people interaction and like life experience and all that and that was her main character growth was you know just experiencing more of life quite ironically in a realm of despair and unlife right. <laughs> and it was really funny because her and random i you know as to my recollection became pretty good friends yeah yeah they they bonded and, and it was it was kind of weird because you've got the uptight paladin and the you know and the uh, and sorceress the, bard the yeah the, the con uh, artist yeah, yeah. the con artist yeah she has a charlatan background right yeah she was charlatan she yeah was, charlatan and act like that's all you need to know it's an odd couple in and of its odd couple right? in and of itself so yeah and but yeah and, and the thing is is that of that party that's one of the tightest parties that I think that we you know that we ever ended up dealing with was that. Because we, we did things that I've never done with any other character. Random would go through entire fights with a bottle of wine in one hand. <laughs> yeah. And her well, spell focus in the other. Yeah, you only need one hand to cast a spell. <laughs> right. No reason you can't. Yes. It's like as a bonus action, I take a swig of wine. <laughs> right. I'll allow it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would, I would actually bring a bottle to the game, fill it with Mountain Dew, and then uh, <laughs> Billy and I would pass it back and forth because Random and Vlad yeah. would always have an open bottle of wine between them. So yeah, as you can see, that's a that's a hallmark of the setting is close knit parties, mm-hmm. um, intense role playing and stuff. And it's one of those yeah. things where it's like it's a force multiplier. It's like, you know, four sessions in Ravenloft might be like twelve sessions of character development in any other given setting. Yeah, and it so was a really fun campaign. Yeah, and it, it, the thing is, it does make for when you fight despair, you actually see the best. I think mm-hmm. in people, or the worst, if people are corrupted and don't yeah, make it. But it hey, burns away. That you know, our player characters manage to make it work. Yeah, I, I think the cold mists of despair actually burn away that which is not your your strongest. Well, it forces you to examine what makes life worth living worth in the living. first place. Because it's mm-hmm. like, okay, we need to survive. Why? Yeah. And then you answer that question. Yeah. Yep. Good well, stuff. Yeah. I hope you all enjoyed listening to Ben and Michael talk. Uh, <laughs> we're pretty much out of time. Um, any final, final thoughts that, you, that could be thought of? Uh, actually, I think we kind of covered it. Is, is Ravenloft does make you examine a lot about a character. Yeah, right. You know, and you know, makes, uh, by extension yourself, I mean, that's yeah. a lot of what makes the role-playing interesting is stepping into someone else's shoes and kind of like learning about other people and yourself and kind of, you know... So yeah. helps do some self-examination. My my final thought would be, um, you know, for people who um, haven't explored the setting and are interested to, uh, you know, just, um, you know, uh, see if uh, you can get a see if you can get a group together and, and if you're playing fifth edition, you know, do Curse of Strahd. And uh, of course, the caution to that would be, 
if you're brand new, don't do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's probably not the best idea. Now, yeah. you can you you might under the right circumstances, but you know if you're not sure what game to start with, you're just starting D D. You probably don't. want to Yeah, start. Curse of Strahd's kind yeah. of a deep end. Yeah, yeah. starter. And, and be and have spells and abilities ready to fight swarms. <laughs> That's another good point. Because <laughs> yeah, the first time random did something impressive. Plague will come. Well, the first time random did something impressive was when we were being. Uh, uh, pursued by swarms of bats, and that was when she oh, first yeah. cast fireball. Yeah, and, just... and he also had a pretty clutch of burning hands there too. <laughs> yeah, you're able to. Uh, you empowered that with being a sorcerer, and it's just like boom. Yeah, it's like poof. Okay, threat yeah. gone. And yeah, we had a nice little bat roast. Yes, yep. <clears throat> this plane needs an enema. <laughs> so. Final thoughts. Um, I I have despite having never played the, played in the, in that setting, I've always wanted to. I kind of mm-hmm. was disappointed that. Uh, was not available and not invited for the for the Curse of Strahd game, but that was a I think it was a time yeah it was a timing issue more than anything else. If yeah. I recall, yeah. but um, I had ho- I had heard about man I really wish I could have been playing this. But uh, <laughs> if you like horror, if you're one of the like 15 people that's listened to my top 10 Lovecraftian monsters because you were interested in it, you'll probably like uh, the Ravenloft setting. Yeah, you'll probably also like World of Darkness. Um, but that's a different thing altogether. Oh, I, think I think we've cool. talked about it too. I think it's cool too that you know for people that are pretty much just D and D people that it open it can kind of open up that interest yeah. in horror stuff you know because they can they can try it in this this uh, yeah, in context a, yeah, in a, yeah and then expand a, to other stuff yeah other an idiom that, that that appeals to them there you go <laughs> there you go yeah uh, but yeah this has been an hour and a half and I've got to get ready to go be uh, Shakespearean for one last time so. I gotta take people out of my house. So this has been Neil, the one true Ben, and Mike, and we will talk to you next week. Uh, well, yeah, I will talk to you next week. Next week you're gonna have a top something list because we can't get together because I've got a thing in Colombia. Um, so that's Damn important. You. Yeah, real life. Okay. And I'm, after that, yeah, Luke I'm getting. Cage. Yeah, and the week after that, the is the plan is Luke Cage because we should have all been able to watch by then. Um, yep. But yeah, talk to you later. Bye. This podcast is a production of Working Theory Productions. It was brought to you by a letter and a number. Opening theme is Ultra Mega Hyperstorm, and ending theme is March of the Mind, both by Kevin McLeod. If you enjoyed this podcast, or know someone who would, please consider sharing it on your social media, sending us an email, or leaving us a comment. We read all of them. If you really enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us, either by donating at our website or on Patreon at patreon.com slash working theory. A final thought. We are pre-recording this outro for use in emergencies if Neil cannot record the outro. As such, we are being vague. We hope you will. I don't know. I can't even think of how to say this. That's how unscripted and unplanned this is, and hopefully you'll never hear it again. Bye.